All right, everyone. How are you? Let's do this. Welcome to this week's episode of our podcast. It's called Is Breakfast Included? How are you? On the show today, we sit down with Carlos Alomar. Carlos is a guitar player. Well, he's a, a multi-instrumentalist. He's based in New Jersey. Um, he has played with just about anyone you can think of, from Paul McCartney to John Lennon to James Brown. But he collaborated the most with a guy named David Bowie, and he has a distinct uh, description of being the only musician. He's played on more albums than any other musician who ever collaborated with David Bowie, and that's pretty cool. He played on the Berlin Trilogies. He did a lot. Uh, he played on Outside with Reeves Gabrow. He was the backbone and musical director for David Bowie for years, him and his uh, damn trio, which he talks about in the interview. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool meeting Carlos. I didn't know him before this, but let's check it out. Tell everyone who you are. Hi, everybody. My name is Carlos Alomar. I'm first and foremost a guitarist with David Bowie. I was his band leader, but I'm a producer, an arranger, as well as a lecturer. And I'm also a professor at Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken, New Jersey. Right on. And you are the... Uh... You recorded more albums with David Bowie than any other musician. Yes, I have the. <laughs> yeah, I can say that. I can say that. <laughs> I recorded a lot of albums with a lot of uh, uh, people, and David Bowie is one person that I really claim as my own, as I met him when I was very young, stayed with him th throughout his career, and also stayed uh, together with him as friends till the very, very end. So I was fortunate. Right on, right on, man. And where are you from originally? I'm from Ponce, Puerto Rico, New York Rican. I was raised in uh, in the Bronx, but I come from Ponce. Right on. When did you start playing? Man, I saw the tuning pegs of a guitar when I was 10 years old in my brother's room. Snuck in there, and that's when I found the guitar, and that was it. I, at 10 years old, I started playing. But remember, I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal minister's son. <laughs> I didn't realize that there was an obligation and all that. Yeah. So once I learned my, my few chords, I ended up playing guitar in church. But I didn't know anything, man. <laughs> so somebody sings. I don't know what key you're in, but I know my three chords. And I started playing those three chords until finally one day my dad took me and uh, bought me a guitar dictionary. It said, Mel Bays, learn 1,200 chords. <laughs> I knew I knew three chords, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, I got to have that. Yeah. And then I started playing all those chords in church. Oh, my God, if you came in, I was trying. I don't know what key you were in, but I was trying a million chords on you. Yeah. Eventually, I kind of devised my own way of playing rhythm, lead, and bass at the same time. And, yes, I eventually found out how to figure somebody's key. And that way, I was somewhat self-taught. And uh, through that, I was able to turn professional. My father died when I was 14. And by the time I was 16, I was already professional. And that means I was getting paid. Yeah. What was your first professional gig? I think my first professional gig was Sesame Street. The, the, the first, the pilot of Sesame Street in 19, approximately 70 or 69, mm -hmm. the pilot of Sesame Street. We did that, and that, I think, was my first professional job. By that, I mean, you know, getting paid. Getting paid for it. And that was with uh, a group? Yeah, that was a group called Listen, My Brother. When I uh, when my dad died, I had a best friend called Luther Vandross who said he was going to audition for the Apollo Theater in the uh -huh. basement, and I should go for support. That's so why I accompanied him there in the 
the manager of the group one day sees me coming in. He says, boy, what do you do? Uh, excuse me, sir. I play guitar, sir. Well, I don't want to see your face down here no more until you bring me your guitar and show me what you got. <laughs> well, I had a Sears and Roebuck guitar and a Sears and Roebuck amplifier, and I took them down to the Apollo Theater, plugged it in, and played Soul Finger by the Barcades and got <laughs> into the band. <laughs> right on, man. And uh, that started my career. I was trained in the basement of the Apollo Theater where all the uh, uh, African-American great stars had to come to perform. Yeah. So you can well understand, man, when they said, Carlos, we're doing dance uh, choreography today, and for your homework, go upstairs and watch The Temptations. <laughs> you know, you're doing vocal work. Go upstairs and watch, you know, Nancy Wilson, or go see The Supremes upstairs, or little Stevie Wonder is playing. Go, go watch him. That's your homework. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I started. And uh, yeah, you said earlier the um, listen, my brother. You said Luther That's Vandross. Exactly was right. it the Luther Vandross? The Luther Vandross. Because you said it with such like. Well, we we grew up together. He introduced me to my wife. I, uh -huh. I met her when I was in high school. Everywhere we went, we went together, and that's the way we did it old school in the yeah. old days. I, I would have a, re a recording session, and uh, my best friend would be there. Oh, he happened to be singing along, and you heard him, and you go, wow, that's really good. Well, I could do all the background arrangements. Oh, okay. And so we used to get gigs like that. Yeah. So it was and a hustle. It had to. Yeah. I mean, look, I was down there as a young kid. Who was down there with me? Now Rogers was hanging out with me. He's the one I gave my substitute jobs to. And the reason I gave him my jobs was because he would give them back. <laughs> be careful who you give your substitute job to. They might not give you a job back when you come back off the road. Yeah, but yeah Luther Vandross, me, Robin Clark, Fonzie Thornton. These are people that later on went to, you know, the Chic organization and Luther Vandross as a star on his own. Robin Clark with Simple Minds, me with David Bowie. All these people were reared at the basement of the Apollo Theater. So, yeah, Luther and I were very familiar because we grew up together. Uh -huh. He introduced me to my wife. And I introduced him to David Bowie, that gave him his start. Wow. So it was all good. So you, I mean, your career has been, I could sit here and talk to you about everything in your career. We'd be here for hours. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, your your, your career has been a, a, a laundry list of uh, being in the right place, right time, yeah. or through associations with your friends. You know, old school is so weird because, number one, there was no internet, there was no phone, there was no nothing. Yeah. I mean, if you had a card, you were high class. I mean, somebody would say, hey, man, give me your number. You'd actually have to write down your number. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Working with James Brown, Wilson Pickett, Chuck Berry, Edwin Starr, I don't know any of these people's telephone number. How the hell did they get my telephone number to call me at such a young age? Yeah. I don't know. Kismet, karma. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a Pentecostal minister's son. My dad said, I give you my blessing. The Lord will show you your way. I'm not going to stand in your way. Well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> because I don't know anybody's number. But yeah. You know what? From Paul McCartney to Yoko Ono, McCartney, everybody, they get my number, they call me, I say yes, and I appear on their record. Ain't that something? Yeah. So it it someone told me one time it, 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 that there's nothing you can't accomplish if you don't mind who takes the credit, and and that that kind of from reading about you and doing research about you you you're just a working musician. Hey, you need me? I'm gonna be there. Man, you have said the most important. Man, you want to lose a gig? Start bragging.
I learned humility from my father and from being a Pentecostal minister. So I'm getting slapped down. Man, I play I learned, let me go backwards. I learned how to play a seventh chord. It's just a chord. You know how you play a minor chord and people feel sad? Mm-hmm. And you play a major chord and people feel happy? Well, you play a seventh chord and they want to shake their butt. <laughs> I started playing a seventh chord, bringing in the sheep with a seventh chord, and the Miss Gonzalez, oh, Carlos, you know, that's you're playing devil's music. A chord? Are you kidding me? This is how I grew up. Chords have feelings. Chords can do everything. And so when I started playing, bring some emotion to your, to your playing. So all these people who call me, I don't know them, but I never say no. Yeah. Always say yes. And then bring yourself to it, hear yourself in it, and then it'll be a morphing of what they think. Again, when you play with other musicians, you can take each other higher than you could ever go by yourself. And it is an amazing thing when all these people of all these different genres call me. I have a very good ear. And one of the things you have to have is the ability to listen. Yeah. If you listen to the other musicians, they'll take you somewhere you wouldn't have gone yourself. Yeah. Enjoy the trip. So you you always keep an ear open for with the musicians you're playing with because you're going to learn something from everyone. Yeah. Right? Because you're not there by yourself. You've got to take it to another level. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah. And plus, you can't play what you practice. <laughs> Practicing allows you to play what you hear. I hear. And then I play. No, that's not what I heard. No. <laughs> you better go back and practice how to play eighth notes because you know what? You suck. Right. So don't practice what you play. Practice so you can play what you hear. Yeah. Do you believe in playing live with with other people is the best practice yeah you, you know get why? that feel yeah you know why why is that because you never know what you're gonna do and you can't play the same solo twice right in fact you don't play your muscle memory plays that's why you can't play the same solo twice all right oh man all right. uh what is there is there a particular um project in your career that stands out oh, hell no Look, we have to think everything is in hindsight. I can't say playing with Uptown Funk and playing the Uptown Special is any greater than playing with Yoko Ono at the time or being asked when Duran Duran broke up to come in and be part of the Arcadia group that they did. Yeah. You know, when, when the Pretenders lost their drummer and they were on a down, it was a great achievement for me to come into the Pretenders and write a song for them that would elevate them back. When David Bowie wanted to record with Iggy Pop and re, re, you know, resurrect his career, man, that was a high when he called me to play punk music. Me, I mean, yeah, these are all in their moment that they happen. Yeah, they're all the best moment. But put a fifty-year career and ask me which was the best one. The best one was when Chuck Berry asked me to play with him and told me, oh, "Mr. Berry, are we going to practice that?" And he said, "Boy, we don't practice the blues. We don't practice rock and roll." These are great moments, but they're all in hindsight. Yeah. Because they're so great that you just have to put them in your memory. Yeah. And whatever it is that you remember as a man, I was there when you were a boy. (laughs) (laughs) How about that time? We share moments, us and the fans. We share moments. And when we get together again, us and the fans, we're 28 again. We're not 60. Yeah. And so what are our favorite moments? Do we live through them? Yeah. Countless, countless. In hindsight, which was the best one? I think the best one when I wrote Fame, the first song I ever wrote as a young man. 
in my early 20s, sandwiched between David Bowie and John Lennon. I'm in the grocery store, dude, and I listen to this on the radio. It's coming in the grocery store, and it's me for the first time. That's an amazing moment, and that was at the very beginning. So 50 years later, I still think it's pretty cool. When you're walking through the grocery store and that and song comes on. In the beginning, when everything is fresh, the impact is great. Yeah, It's not that I'm jaded, but I've had platinum albums. <laughs> so what can I say? So the, the, speaking of fame and, and, and songs like that that you you contributed to, you wrote the riffs. Like fame, well, we'll get to it in a second, but did... At the time, did you get the proper credit, the proper points on that when you wrote it? Did, did Were you aware yeah. of all that? Yeah. Because nobody, fame, everyone knows your riff. That's it. And then they hear the song, but it's that, it's kind of, um, give me shelter. You know that background singers, oh, yeah. you know. When fame came out, it was a very important period in music, because what you have to remember is at that time, they were doing things like Captain and Tennille. They were very, very pop-oriented. Yeah. And here comes this Brit, who all they knew about this guy was maybe some midnight special where he's in leotards and, and red hair. Mm -hmm. So here he comes out playing the funkiest James Brown groove you ever heard. And I'm talking about airy. There's not a lot of production. It's really a lot of holes, and it's funky. Yeah. And here he is singing, and you don't even know who it is. Suddenly you find that it's David Bowie, and you're like, what? I mean, the song was so cool. James Brown covered it. I mean, come that on. That was my next thing. That's like, like great. When I heard that, I was man, I asked David, are we going to sue him? Because he put it out. Yeah. I mean, you listen to I Hot. Wanna, yeah, it's your hot. song. You yeah. you just lift his vocal. You drop yeah. David's on there. It's the same song. No, we, I, I asked David about that. Are we going to sue him? <laughs> he said, no. I said, what? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, is it a hit? I said, no. This is why am I going to sue him? I said, but don't you worry about the credit? I said, Carl, he said, Carlos, if I had ripped off that song from James Brown, he would have sued me in two seconds. The fact that everybody knows it sounds like me and I'm not suing him, that's more important. And the fact, look, if it had become a hit, I'll sue his pants. <laughs> but because it didn't become a hit, the credit and the acknowledgement that this song was so funky that even the godfather of soul had to take it back, Right. That's pretty. That's the bragging rights that you want, not money. You know. It's... No. Since you you came up with the main riff of of fame, that that's your lick. I mean, that's what everybody knows. Is that something you played when you played with James Brown? Do you think that it was? No. Do you think he just heard it? No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> when you work with James Brown, look. My experience was that when I went to work with James Brown, I thought I was going to be the only guitar player, like I usually am. Uh huh. I found that there was three of them. An older cat, me and a younger, well, me, I was a younger cat. Me, another cat, and an older cat. They start playing. The older cat. Typical of James Brown. The other guy. Here I come. Whoa, whoa, says the older guy. Son, where are you going? Listen. When we create the groove, don't disturb the groove. Pick a part and just stay there. Oh, my God. Dude, that was like a slap in the face. <laughs> that was like my dad's hand hit yeah. me. Anyway, that taught me 
just calm down. And I did. I picked a little nice groove and the groove was laid and I didn't disturb the groove. It was great. Man, that's what happened when I started doing fame. I only had which, you know, we, I, I, I did that riff for a song called Foot Stomping. And then John Lennon comes in with David Bowie. They talk, blah, 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 you know, play a little something. And then they say, let's go to dinner. I'm like, dinner? Look, John Lennon, <laughs> I know who you are, David Bowie, but I got these other two guitar players in my head, like James Brown taught me, and they're playing these other lines, and I got the groove locked in my head. So you know what? You guys go to dinner and leave me here. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. <laughs> when they came back, the song was finished. David said, man, let me just put this one line in, and he put in, boom. <laughs> He always like throws in the wrench. No matter how funky it is, he'll throw in that wrench rock and roll. Yeah. And that was it. The minute that was done, he put that little part and then he worked out the lyric. And the next thing I know, I got credit. I did the music. And for the career that I was with David, I'm his musical director and I also do the arrangements for the tour and for a lot of the stuff on stage. Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't get credit for being like, Oh, I co-wrote the music. No. When there's an original thing and it's not an arrangement, I get credit. But other than that, I arrange all of that stuff. You got a five-piece band, I'll do a five-piece arrangement. You want to get horns and all that, I'll do whatever you need. And so it's a totally different thing. It morphs into being more than it is as time goes on. Yeah. Okay. And you learned all that. You started out as a guitar player, but... Mm -hmm. As you showed me just a few minutes ago, you're a really good drummer, too. Well, no, I play all the instruments you know? out of the rhythm section. I play guitar, bass, drums, and piano. And so whenever I get a rhythm section, I can get on the instrument and show them what I want. I don't yeah. have to tell them. I can actually play it. So, and and all that comes into play when you arrange something. Oh, it has to. I want yeah. more than that. Yeah, because also string arrangement, horn arrangements. Yeah. But see, what happens is I'm self-taught. But Bowie told me a long time ago, dude, man, I understand going partying and everything, but... There's museums. We can, I, I'm self-taught, but I continue to educate myself. Yeah. And with uh, you did the core of the Bowie albums with the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the damn trio. Yeah. Dennis George Davis, Murray, Dennis Davis. Yeah. yeah, myself. Yeah, when uh, the Spiders from Mars uh, were the iconic figure kind of labeled with David Bowie. And so, look, we do understand the issue of brand. Yeah. The Spiders from Mars are a brand. Who's the drummer? who's the bass player. Maybe you know Ronson as a guitar player, but you don't know the members, but the brand is solid. Yeah. Well, there ain't no brand for us. Who are these three black guys? And I'm Puerto Rican, but who are these three black jazz musicians that are playing with David Bowie? He drops the spiders from Mars and suddenly he has this damn trio that's with him forever. Nobody knows who they are. Yeah. Who's getting the credit? Oh, this country, the producer, Brian Eno, the guitar player, Fripp, uh, whoever, but not them. And yet they're the ones responsible for all that music. Yeah. The damn trio came to life when I did my, I finally, my, my, my daughter said, hey, you need to have a website. The internet is exploding. And so I wrote an article, the making of the damn trio. The minute they had a name, all the newspapers and everybody that had to talk about Bowie suddenly started talking about the damn trio. Yeah. Brand is every, you don't have a brand. You don't have a, who are the members of the damn trio? George Murray, Carlos Alomar, and Dennis Davis. And that gave us a brand. And now everybody recognizes the damn trio. Yeah. Just like they recognize the spiders from Mars. Yeah. Was it frustrating at the time that people didn't? Give you you know no or give you guys the credit for it? No, you're asking me. I don't I don't work like that. I don't get frustrated because I always lower my expectations. 
And by lowering my expectations, I stay happy. Yeah. Everything becomes a blessing. Right on. I've and in the in the what I've studied about you, you you've come off as one of my questions was like, um, there's a difference between somebody who wants to be the star and somebody who wants to work. Mm-hmm. And you you've said many times in the interviews, like, I'm I'm there to work. I'm there to put in the work. On a more philosophical level, there's two types of personalities. The mm-hmm. One personality goes out and gets what he wants. But man, he's got to fight every day to make it stay there. Yeah. I don't do that. I attract what I want like a magnet. Man, I can't get it. I can't get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> it follows me from room to room. Yeah. You must have an attraction value attached to your personality and more importantly to your character. People will want to be with you. People will want to be near you. People will want to share with you. If you go out and get what you want, you have to tell them what to do. You have to correct them. Yeah. You have to cat, you have to chastise them. I don't do that. Kindness works with attraction. And if you can have the attraction value, they just want you. And that's what I don't get frustrated or anything like that demands. Yeah. It's not worth it. Let it go and don't carry any sound bites. Yeah. So you're just there to arrange, bring to the music. What I, what I just I'm heard. Just, I'm just there to be me. Yeah. Except because in, uh, you have your whole life to write your first album as an artist, then you have six months to write your second one. Whereas you will come in and they do, we're, we're not hearing it, let's call, call Carlos. Mm-hmm. He'll come in. Yeah. I'm the man with the options. You give me one little bit and I'll spit back three different versions of it. And then you say, ooh, I like the little, give me that part from column A and that other part from column B and from the dessert. Yeah. Give me that bridge that you play in column C. And so it's options. Yeah. You do something and say, what do you think? And I say, that's real cool. How about this? Are you still inspired after all these years? You still get inspired every day? Always inspired. Progressions are amazing. Uh, what What I mean by that is you learn how to exact an emotion by what you hear. Sometimes you'll hear a song and it has such beautiful progressions that it almost makes you cry. And so you analyze what those progressions are. The next time I get a chance, I'm going to use those in the song. <laughs> that's what makes it a scientific endeavor. In a way, that's why I've turned myself into a professor. Yeah. There's a deeper study to the study of music than simply shaping, shaking your butt. There is actual, actually an emotional attachment to it, to your memory. It's a, it's a time capsule. Oh, my yeah. God, I can play the song that you got your first kiss when you were in high school at the prom, and you'll remember it. Even if you've got Alzheimer's or suffering from short order, short memory loss. I was For a second. I was interested. And I'll make this short because it is rather a long conversation to have. I was very interested in music therapy for short-term and long-term memory mm-hmm. loss based on the fact that my best friend Luther Vandross had a stroke and that kind of blacked out a portion of his brain indicating a loss of memory. The doctors couldn't tell me, although they showed me the exa- the, the, the x-ray and it showed his brain and showed a, a crater of black. It was a, a black hole in his brain. Mm-hmm. They could not tell me the time that he had lost. What years did he lose in his memory? So I would see him all depressed with his head down and not active, and then he would come to life a little bit. But you know how strokes are sometimes. They leave you at a loss. 
I created a, a, a CD of all the songs that I remember that we were used to play when we were at Fordham University, when he was in high school, when he went to Kalamazoo, you know, when his mom died, when his uncle, all that stuff, all the way through. Man, don't you know? I would put the earphones on. Next thing I know, he would pick up his head. Oh, man, remember when the blah, blah, blah? Hey, remember the Jackson 5? Yeah, I remember that. And remember Michael Jackson when he did that song? What song? You know that song, you know, Thriller? No, what song is that? Remember Michael Jackson? He was a solo artist. No, he's not. He's with the Jackson 5. Oh, so I, you could I pin, you could start out. finding out. Yeah, yeah. I started questioning him about what groups he knew and what, and I found out what years that black hole related to. Something <laughs> the doctors were clueless about. There's somehow some way of re-triggering those things that cannot be triggered. Because those, neurologically speaking, that system was broken the minute you had that stroke. And yet, something awakened the memory in him via music. Yeah. Again, we can be so curious. It will take the moment to be silent and notice that music is around us. The, the rain, every time you turn on the windshield wipers, there's a beat. And you don't realize it, but that windshield wiper, yeah. it's a rhythm. The rain drops when they fall. There's a note. I'm surrounded by music. When I have this type of subjectivity to music, I hear it all the time. <laughs> And it's not a nightmare. It's a glorious symphony of melody. Yeah. There's something about you, Carlos, and, and that like we just met today, but just your the the vibe you're giving off is is somebody who people can say they love music because they love it and they love how it makes them feel and it makes them move. But I see how you really see music and you hear music and you feel it. And there's not very many people like that. There there are, but you know, it's very, to me, it's very rare and it's very, it's it's an honor for me to sit down with somebody who, who really can. But you're looking at an individual that has been filled with music. What exactly did you expect to see other than this? Well, some people are filled with music, but they're worried about their brand, you know? And But, but they I portray understand. themselves in the public like, I'm all about the music. But how many records did I sell? Or, you know, like, yeah. I didn't like that picture on the cover of Rolling Stone. You know, that. that type of desperation can be, and it must be because it's part of the human condition. Yeah. Look, it's why fame was written. How can you be famous when everybody thinks you're famous and you know full well you can't pay the rent? <laughs> yeah. It's like fame. What you want is in the limo. You can, you know, it's just like what you need, you have to borrow. It's just like y'all don't know nothing. All I'm trying to do in meeting me is trying to meet a person that you find attractive and not attractive in the outside, but someone who has a magnetic personality that attracts you to him by issuing something that seems to be kindness in the tone, in the voice, in the appreciation. You notice a lot of people don't appreciate the minimum. Have you ever heard people who live minimalistic? I got one toothbrush, I have one plate, I have one, bed. one, one you know. And, and so you don't need the stimuli of having all this. How, if I have one picture on the wall, how many more pictures do I actually need? On to something a little lighter. Uh, I read that you quit James Brown's band for $50 that he took from you. <laughs> I was working with James Brown, and we were doing this show at the Burning Spear. And he kept saying what he usually says, we're going to take it to the bridge. 
Yeah. We're gonna take it to the bridge. 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 I hear you, man, but when are you gonna take it to the bridge? I'm gonna take it to the bridge. I wasn't paying attention. Next thing I know, we're gonna take it to the bridge. Hit me. Bam, bam, bam. Oh man. That Friday when I get to, went to get my money, there was twenty dollars missing. <laughs> I said, hey man, what's up? Uh it's twenty dollars missing. Uh, yeah, man, Mr. Mr. Brown said you didn't hit back in the Bernie Spear and you're docked twenty dollars. Uh what? Uh, yeah. I said, look, that's not fair. Is there anything else? Because you know what? It's not right that you're docking me, and I don't even know what the hell you're docking me for. Yeah. Uh, he said, well, all you got to know is now you fired. <laughs> <laughs> now, you asked me before, was I mad? I wasn't mad. You know why? Because I reasoned to myself, don't get mad, Carlos. You just got credit for working with James Brown. Nobody can take that credit out, uh, out of your resume. Yeah. How many jobs do you actually need to get credit on your resume? Answer, one. one. <laughs> so shut up, and the next gig came the very next week. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so don't ask me, because I have no idea how it happens. But it has continued to happen. I think that the issue also becomes, you know, reap what you sow, you know, cause and effect. You, know, yeah. you put out a good vibration, you get a good vibration. And look, let's understand each other on the more logistic uh, state. When you have a musician, there are two criteria that you're going to deal with. Number one, can he play? All right, so I got these three guys. I wanted to go on tour with me. They all know my material and they all cover it well. So I'm, at, I'm stymied. I don't know which one to pick. But then I realized, man, that guy's married. And every time I, you know, you come off the road or he goes back to his room and goes talk to his wife. The other guy, oh, he's really all over the place. You know, he comes out with a man, but he gets drunk and he's loud and all that stuff. And then there's Carlos. You know, he's kind of a nice guy. He always, he goes out. He's, you know, who do I want to be with for months on the road? You see? Yeah. Sometimes it's not about your ability. Sometimes it's about your personality and whether they want to deal with your tired ass. So be careful. As I say, the hang. Yeah. If you don't hang well and you're a drag, <laughs> dude, it's not about your playing. Anybody can cover the gig. Make sure your personality gels with the principles. Otherwise, it won't work for them, nor will it work for you. Yeah. Um, with Bowie, you were you were his musical director, you know, his band leader. Um, you played behind a slew of amazing lead guitar players that he had. Uh, you did the Berlin Trilogy, but you didn't play on Let's Dance. Mm -hmm. What Was there a reason for that? Well, David Bowie had a new management company, uh -huh. respectfully, and so they wanted to negotiate with me. And so when I went down there, they immediately told me, no uncertain terms, uh, Nal Rogers got this gig, he's producing it, and uh, you know we just want you to play guitar, so he'll cover all the rest. And, you know. uh -huh. So this is the guitar fee. <laughs> to which I told them, well, look, let's understand each other clearly then. The fee is not the point. I couldn't care less about the fee. But if you're going to put Carlos Alomar's name on that record, then I get exactly the same thing I got before. doesn't matter whether I play one note, ten notes, one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And so that's the deal. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I said I have absolutely no problem. Goodbye. Yeah. And then when the album was ready, David Bowie tells the same management company, call Carlos. <laughs> well... The minute they called me, they asked me to come in that they, they wanted to do this tour and I'd you know, like to talk to me. To which I said, fine. So I go in 
And before I am able to talk to them, I tell them, before I sign with you to do this tour, I want you to understand I want a signing bonus. And what's the signing bonus? What do you think the signing bonus is? The same amount I would have charged for the album. So you got... I got the album money without doing the album. Uh huh. I didn't need the credit. But since it's all about money, then let's understand each other. Bowie called you because I'm the one that's going to do the tour. And so now you're going to have to pay me a signing bonus. And if it's about money, you just lost the money that you would have wanted to make. Yeah. By giving it to me. And now you can talk to me about the tour. Right. So a good businessman. I'm a good businessman, but I'm not going to hit you over the head. Yeah. If I was gracious enough to say, I'm sorry, I can't take the gig because the money is not right, then you've got to say, I've got to give you the money that you wanted, even if I hate it, but the money is right now. Yeah. But it's right for me. Before, yeah. the loss of money to me was right for you. Yeah. So as long as it was graciously done... And I'm sure David Bowie knew exactly what I had done because David knows me. Yeah. So are you and Niall still friends? Oh, are you Are you kidding me? I don't lose friends. Who sang? Oh, who sang? Dance, dance, dance. Luther Vandross, my wife, Robin Clark, we're all a big group. We don't lose touch with each other. Yeah. Fonzie, Luther, Robin, Niall. We're all together, yeah. you know? And so when Niall needed some people to become the voices, Sheik wasn't a group. Sheik was the producer. Remember those years when the producer was the act? Yeah. Well, now Rogers formed this group called Luther and Robin, my wife, and all these people. They gave him the sound, and then he had to form a group because the record became a hit. So it was just uh, yeah. a bunch of friends getting together. And jamming it out. And that's how it was done back then. That's like, the hey, I got this old, song. Old you guys, if you can't do it in the studio, you can't do it. What do you think of the music industry today, the way it works? I love it. I love everything. Yeah? You've got let go or be dragged. You can't stop nothing, man. Look, here's an iPhone. Blah, 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 blah. I got an iPhone 9. I don't, I don't want to upgrade. Well, don't. But you're not going to get any apps to work for you. <laughs> Technology, music, let go or be dragged. Frank Sinatra, that damn Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley. Damn, damn Beatles. Beatles and Beatles and Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones, that damn alternative rock crap. Them new wave romantic, get out of here. Punk music, what the hell's going on? Alternative punk. So many names. Oh, then you get the European. Oh, electro, blood rock. Jesus Christ. Right. I go to a concert, 200,000 people. They're looking at a DJ spinning. What the hell are they looking at? He's, a, he's, he's at a turntable. Why are there 200,000 people watching a guy on a turntable? You see, you wouldn't go to that concert. So let go of your drag. Let somebody else go. Right. Don't complain about the music, man. Yeah. Don't complain. Somebody, t- you know, when the light is greatest, when it's dark. Just let let the light flow and come out of the darkness and enjoy it. Shake your butt. Yeah. <laughs> Just music. You only see the stars when it's dark out. Jolly, bro. True. The I... music, look. Uh, we're, okay, pop bands. Can you name one? No, because they're Korean. <laughs> Da-da-da-da-da-da-bum. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Not my fault. How'd that happen? <laughs> let go of your drag, bro. Right. Uh, are there any acts you, you particularly... Are into right now of, oh of my new God, bands? Yes, but 
my mind floods. Just so many? All my animals as leaders. They, and there's all these... Oh, those, they're so good, aren't they? It's crazy. Yeah. You know, Antwood. What is that? Diantwood. Diantwood. All these groups, they're European ones. You know, there's there's some here. There's R&B. I can't. Yeah. God, I, I, I'm listening to gospel music. Sometimes I don't even know the name of the band. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> First of all, let's be true to ourselves and understand full well. If any one of us should turn our back on the music industry for one year, we actually lose touch. So let's not be crazy about the fact that the wheel is turning faster and faster as we get older and older. Yeah. These kids will enjoy one year of music because they are attached at the ear. Yeah. A year of music for me, I'm not attached at the ear. I might listen here, I might listen there, but a year of not listening, I will totally lose to what? Yo, why do you think I'm in a university with 21 year olds? <laughs> I will, I'm 73. I will never grow old. <laughs> you don't look 73, I'm my not man. I'm supposed to. Right? Because they let a rock and roll in academia. <laughs> why the hell did they do that? <laughs> look, at, look at where we are. What advice would you give these students that you work with? Let go or be dragged. <laughs> If you can't explain it, you can't defend it. Uh, the excuse is only good for the person that gives it. <laughs> There's a lot of excuse. I'll tell you why. Love life. That's good advice. I, 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 can't, I can't help you with the rest. Yeah. Because life is a knee-jerk reaction to itself. Should you think that life is going to come knocking you on, on your door and drag you kicking out, uh, kicking and screaming out there to see life, you're wrong. If you don't get out there, life will pass you by in two seconds and you'll be out of touch. Your clothes will be out of fashion. Your dialect will be out of fashion. Your hairstyle and your glasses will be out of fashion. All of it counts. And you don't even realize the last time you bought a pair of pants was 10 years ago. And that shirt, you wore it when you were in high school. You have got to learn. It's Life is like a closet. Go in there and throw some old clothes away. You haven't worn that crap in years. That other thing doesn't even fit you. Why is it in your damn closet? You've heard of a shopping spree all your life. And you've never given yourself permission. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Throw the damn clothes away and give yourself permission to be kind to yourself and go and have a fucking shopping spree of life. <laughs> That's, That's my advice. Not to them. That's my advice to everybody. Live your life. Right on, man. That, that's great advice. Mm. Carlos, it, it, it's been a pleasure talking to you and 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 being here and and we when we when we were approached that maybe we should look out you know reach out to you and we looked you up uh my partner and i we looked you up for like there's no way this guy's gonna talk to us like everything he's done so thank you for your time i really appreciate it time. yeah where can people find you online, social media? Do you have CarlosAlamar.com, the official Carlos Alomar, Facebook. My code name is Guitarlos1. <laughs> Carlos and guitar equals Guitarlos. <laughs> and there can only be one. one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything coming up in your, as far as solo material? Oh, my God. 
Are you crazy? <laughs> I, I, I finished uh, uh, Alicia Keys' Christmas album last. I have a brand new movie that's coming out of the David Bowie tour that's going to be previewed in the IMAX theaters in a month or so. Uh, I've got the David Bowie World Fan Convention coming up in Liverpool, uh, uh, England in June. Uh, I'm thinking about launching the damn trio and doing my own trilogy. Why? We did so much amazing rock and roll, but because of the advent of Electronica, who got all the credit, was Brian Eno for yeah. all that slow, lethargic music. Well, man, when you hear the damn trio trilogy, no slow music. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. As am I. Right <laughs> and I think the fans will understand you have branded the trilogy in a totally different way. Wait till you hear Carlos Alomar's damn trilogy. We're going back to Berlin. <laughs> One last question. Our podcast is called Is Breakfast Included? And if it was, what would you have? If breakfast was included? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Probably I was salmon <laughs> on a scallion pancake with uh, I don't know, sour cream. And... Dude, I'm living large, bro. I've learned I don't do ham and eggs. <laughs> When you, tra to you travel to Europe and you're going to find in, in Japan, breakfast is not the same as Sweden. Yeah. If you go to Finland, it's not the same as Australia. If you go to New York, it's not the same as Miami. Yeah. So breakfast is breakfast regionally. Yeah. Well, man, it's been good talking to you. Thank you again for your time. <laughs> Great. Right on. Carlos Alomar. I told you this guy was interesting. His stories could have gone on all night. He only had a few minutes because he's currently a professor at Stevens University here in uh, or Stevens Technical University here in Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, but he was kind during this time. Uh, check him out. Look him up. Carlos Alomar. You'll be it, it'll amaze you who he's worked with. And while you're doing that, check out isbreakfast.bigcartel.com and check out our merch. All right, guys, I am done. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week.